Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the ARMCHAIR All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. of the bird calls i am david grubb alongside david fisher and our editor-in-chief over at thebirdrights.com ali cosell gentlemen good evening how are you uh mr fisher i'm doing well um the pelicans got a much needed win it wasn't necessarily the prettiest win that we could have got um but the pelicans got a win um the saints are moving forward um, into the future. Um, and I think we could say it might be Brandon Ingram's or, or Zion city right now. I would oh, say Alvin Kamara probably would still be easily ahead of both those guys and probably Cam Jordan. Right. You got to think, but I know what you're trying to say, David, we're ready for the, like the next star to basically grab that face of new Orleans, right? Tag. That's what you're thinking. Yep. It's up for grabs. It's up for play. So, gentlemen, um, the road trip has begun. Uh, Pelicans are midway through. They are one and two on this trip after um, beating the Sacramento Kings, as Mr. Fisher described, in not the most impressive fashion. I mean, they, they were poised down the stretch. They made their free throws in particular, which was a big thing. Um, but... They are one and two. The two losses coming at the hands of the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm going to throw some numbers out a little bit. No, I'm not going to do the numbers. Let's not do the numbers first. I'm I'm going to allow this discussion to flourish. Um, First, Mr. Cosell, what are your thoughts? What have you seen over the course of these three games from the team? And uh, then we'll get into individuals. But from this team, what have you seen over the last three games? I think we've seen like three different games. Um, I remember our last podcast. I said that they were going to be competitive against the Clippers. And guess what? They were. And had it not been for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George basically being their star selves, the Pelicans could have possibly stolen that game. Right? I thought that was a really well-played game by the Pelicans. To then, of course, against the Lakers, you just – I mean, they were up 45-30. And then, you know, then then you might as well just shut off the TV because nothing good happened after that. Um, and then, of course, David and you have already alluded to the Kings game. 
good offensive display, and you needed to stop the losing streak. But, you know, I, I didn't really care for that one being any more talked about in a positive light than it should have been because that defensive effort, guys, was so awful. I mean, we awful. were talking about in our DM chat. I was just – I mean, I was flabbergasted considering how this team was playing in the first couple of weeks and what Stan Van Gundy's been mandating from them, you know, in every practice and such. And for them just to allow – the Kings to get anywhere they please. And yeah, I know De'Aaron Fox is a star. And with Lonzo Ball out, they're not going to be able to slow down a guy of his caliber very well. But it was everybody else, and especially Marvin Bagley. This guy was just getting in his shots anywhere, waltzing up to the uh, rim, you know, and, and he scored 26 points, but those were not a well-earned 26 points. So, right, I, I just, you know, I'm not going to say anything other than the Pelicans' defense is going to have to turn around. They got two games coming up against the Jazz in Utah against a team that's playing really freaking well right now. So if they have any chance of just stealing one game, uh, one win, they're going to have to play so much better defensively for 48 minutes, right? We see a quarter or two here or there, but for the most part, it's been poor overall effort. So they just need to get back to kind of being, like I said, that team we saw in the beginning of the year, those first couple of weeks. I mean, the second half against the Clippers was not good. The second no. half was not good. I mean, the, they they did not score the ball at all, really, against the Clippers that much in that second half. The Lakers was even worse. Yeah, like I said, Lakers. Oh, was the Lakers worse. was awful. And then um, I just think, to me, as a team, you know, the thing I said I was going to judge them by was consistency in defense. Um, and so I have not seen consistency, like you said, Ollie. It's been three different games, and again. I was not going to judge them on the opponents. I didn't care what the one loss record was because it didn't expect the expectations were not high. If they were going to go two and four on this trip, you'd say, okay, they get three and three. You'd be like, wow, that's nice. Four and two. We'd be, you know, if they finish this trip somehow four and two, you'd be ecstatic. So for me, the expectations out of the first three were at best, you get a one and two start, mm-hmm. but it's the way that it's happened. As you said, the way that they let the Lakers beat them, and the and and the the effort that they did not show in fighting against the Lakers was problematic for me. In the second game against the Clippers, the mental mistakes were still there. Um, the right, they, but I was knowing... just referring to that competitive effort by them. Yeah. yeah, you're right. They gave up way too many easy threes, and you're right. Yeah, please and, go on. But that's what I was referring knowing, to. Not knowing who they were guarding in this in that game, not knowing who they should be allowing to drive. And then that repeated in the, the Kings game, which was even worse, as you said. Like the Kings, they provided no resistance. It wasn't just a De'Aaron Fox. It wasn't just a De'Aaron Fox. People were going off, and the way that teams have shot the ball over the last three games against the Pelicans has been embarrassingly bad. And their decision making on the offensive end, I think it's when we get into individuals, there are a couple of individuals who are standing out with bad decision-making as much as there are a few who are starting to show some good decision-making. The ones who are bad, though, are really costly. Mr. Fisher. Um, I mean, to an extent, I, I, don't, I don't see that the team has been vastly different over the course of these three games because we're seeing kind of the same mistakes. The thing that kind of jumps out at me is they help too hard one pass away. And that's allowing a lot of really easy three pointers and not difficult passes. 
Um, they help on everyone. That's the thing. It's like they that lack of recognition of who you should help on and who yeah. you can allow to take that person one-on-one. That if a drive by, there are some players that their, their drive, I want them to drive. Good. You drive against one-on-one. I'm, I'm happy with that defense. I think Steven Adams can help with clean that up. But yeah. they do it. There'll be two and three guys converging on anyone that drives the basketball. Well, there's that. And like the thing that's jumping out at me is one, when they were during the Clippers game, they helped one pass away a lot off of Paul George. Mm-hmm. That's not the guy that you help off. Right. No. <laughs> like there's, there's no plenty of players that you help on, but the guy who's guarding Paul George needs Stays to know you're the one that stays you're the one that stays home um and that wasn't happening um in the kings game i i know you mentioned it multiple times where the kings would swing the ball around and it ends up in bagley's hands or something at the three-point line for a corner three-point shot and it's like yeah you live with that like you're going to allow in the NBA, you're going to allow shots. And what you want to do is you want to make decisions that make it so that the least valuable shots are taken. And that's not just all corner threes are good shots. Like Marvin Bagley taking corner threes is something that you will live with. I don't want it to be Harrison Barnes. <laughs> exactly. Like there are or Buddy Heald. Yeah. Buddy Heald right. got so many free looks in that second half made me cry. I mean, um, and so, and, and a lot of that was just the fact that they weren't containing the ball still, but they do, they overhelp and they get in rotation and eventually the rotation falls apart. Um, and in that respect, I didn't see a lot different from the Clippers game to the Lakers game to the Kings game. Um, I mean, the Lakers game at one point, it was 84-79 in the fourth quarter and there was a glimmer of hope. And the Pelicans on, I want to say their next five or six possessions didn't turn it over. And they got what you would think are high quality shots, open three point shots, open three point shots for JJ Redick. Um, Shots at the basket. They turned all of those possessions into zero points and the Lakers go on a big run and then they put the game away. And the thing is, is that when you play the Kings, that kind of, that kind of drought isn't going to be as isn't going to be as costly if you would or as likely yeah or as likely um so i guess like i'm so focused i guess big picture and long term that i focus on what are the young guys doing are they showing me flashes of things that portend wealth long-term are there things we're seeing now that seem like bad habits are being not only created but reinforced um the young guys that we're seeing the guards i'm i'm very enthusiastic about some of the things that we've been seeing from them and the one thing i mean i've been piling on jackson hayes every single time we've recorded this podcast (laughs) he's he's doing like there are flashes of him defensively doing the thing that I would hope he would do, which is simply mm-hmm. be tall, be in the right spot, and don't commit a stupid foul. And you do that as a big man by having your hands up and not jumping. And he's done that 
on a handful of occasions. And honestly, he hasn't played a whole lot of minutes. So a handful of occasions with his minutes run is a lot of his defensive possessions. And second, he's boxing out and he's rebounding the hell out of the ball. And that caveat for me is yes, the effort is there. The caveat for me is these are three of the weakest interior teams in the entire NBA. The late night of the Lakers, especially the Clippers, who are a, a big donut on the inside. And he didn't play much against the Lakers, but against the Clippers, who don't get, have anything in the middle, and the Kings, who provide no resistance in the middle. That's the caveat. Yes, the effort, I will agree. His effort has been improved. Is, the, is that partially because the opponent was not as good? Yes. I mean, and you can say like, but the thing is, is that even him crashing and attacking the ball, even if he's not necessarily getting all of those rebounds is a different thing happening for him than what we saw when he was a rookie, the results he's getting rebounds. You can put that, you know, some on the opponent, but the fact that he is at least boxing out and attacking the ball when it's coming off the rim tells me that one, there's something going on in practice where the team is hounding him on that you're long athletic and you can't just watch the ball. You need to attack and you need to box out. Um, Cause he has great box out stats actually lately. And then the second part of that is the fact that it, the message not only is being passed down from the coaching staff, but is being received. And the fact that he's playing the minutes tells you in practice, it's, it's coming through and therefore in the games, it's also coming through. So you like to see that flow. Okay. Here's my question. Well, not my question, but I would say this, this is my observation. Then this is the perfect back-to-back set for him to play against because yes. if he can continue that against this team, against Derek favors and Rudy Gobert and the bigs that they have, and the way that they play. If you can do that against these two teams, then I think that you, you, you would have cause to believe that, that it could be a trend. Because we have seen Jackson have moments of brilliance, and, mm-hmm. then, mo- and then back to frustration. So this is actually, if you're in the middle of a hot streak, to play these, these two teams, this is a great test. Ollie? Yeah, I just want to jump in and say that against the Clippers, I actually found it impressive because he was going up against Zubac in most, if not all, of his minutes. And anybody that's watched Ivaka Zubac play, he'll throw his body around. He's a big, legitimate seven-footer. So to see Jackson Hayes actually hit this guy and push him out of position to grab at least a handful of rebounds over him impressed the heck out of me to where I even remember tweeting, is something happened because he had eight rebounds in his first stint of 10 yeah. minutes of the game. He did. So he did. Yeah. So that shocked the heck out of me. But here's another couple things that I think we need to talk about. One, all of a sudden he's not getting to the free throw line as much, but his free throw shooting is all of a sudden becomes spectacular, right? He's over 80% for the year. He hasn't missed a free throw in this month. And in the last two games, we've seen him make a couple of jumpers from mid range. In the Lakers game, yeah, he kind of tossed it out. They're getting destroyed. But he was, what, 16, 17 feet on the baseline? Nothing but net. If everybody no. remembers, that was a game. Melly couldn't make a shot that we were – and I even tweeted out, I'd rather watch Jackson mm-hmm. shoot threes. Well, he comes in and makes that long two. And then in the, but the more important thing is in yesterday's game against the Kings, um, there's about eight and a half minutes to go. And I know this because I rewatched it. But 
J.J. Redick flipped the ball to him, and Jackson, without you know hesitating because he was wide open, caught the ball from J.J., shot right about left elbow, nothing but net. All of a sudden, his shooting, I mean, I know he's not taking but these two shots and a couple a handful of free throws, but all of a sudden, that has suddenly looked a lot better. So, yeah, I think there's legitimate growth going on with this guy, and I would love to know exactly who's responsible, but it doesn't really matter. Overall, he has looked so much better. Especially I these last three games, finish. he has not finished on the offensive glass. That's what I'm. No, see yeah, him. when he when when the body's in front of him, David, you're absolutely right. He still doesn't have a move to where he either goes through somebody powers over him or has, of course, something to a fall counter. back on. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't have a counter to get over his shoulder, and that's what, that that right there for someone with Jackson's elevation, his reach, to be able to get an offensive board, turn over your opposite shoulder, and flip it over. That simple move is something that he should be working on every day. I don't know if he is. I'm not saying he's not. But that's if he had that, because he's not going to dunk everything because he's not that strong yet. If he's going, That'll ever take going some to time, that. though, right? How long did it take for Anthony Davis to develop a legitimate, you know, move other than just rising oh, up over somebody? Oh, geez, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's not the standard for Jackson. I mean, the main thing for me is, dude, yeah, keep hitting the glass. All we want out of Jackson, at, I mean, to be on a consistency, I think we would all agree is, be active, yeah. don't foul, and, you know, that's it. Be active on both ends. Be active. Mm-hmm. Set your screens hard. Don't release early. Set that screen and roll or pop if, 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 you're, if that's the move. But do it hard. Whatever you're going to do, do it with activity and with quickness and intelligence. If he does those things, I don't – the rest of it, I'm not going to nitpick how he does it if that's what he's doing. Yeah, don't foul. In the Charlotte game, we saw him come in the game, pick up two immediate fouls because he was yes. well out of position. Yeah, none of those games anymore. No, I, I agree. And, the, I mean, to nitpick, yeah, like the most frustrating thing about him is that he gets the ball and he's close enough to the basket where he feels like he should score, and he just kind of bumps into somebody and just flips it up towards the yeah. basket, mm-hmm. and it has – it has no chance. Like that doesn't make that doesn't. I, but he'll I hate get that. rewarded with that some nights, and he'll just flip it up, and it goes in, and he'll go to the free throw line. And I think he thinks that that's oh well, yeah. Whenever I take contact, like that, like you want to see him play through that contact. And the, usually, he's just not going to get that call. Like no, the teams are refs aren't going to get you that kind of call when you're seven foot tall. You don't get to just run into somebody under the basket and then just flip it up over your shoulder, like not even really looking at the hoop. Yeah. Like, like the dad from Coraline. So, I mean, that, that part of his game has, has room to improve. But if you ask me, I mean, that was probably part of the game that was his best last year as a rookie. And so in, in terms of just as a rookie, he just tried to dunk everything and that's fine with me for him offensively. If you get it yeah. you know, close enough, just, just try to dunk everything and try to go to the foul line. My focus on Jackson Hayes growth is can he defend and will he mm-hmm. rebound? Mm-hmm. Um, and what you were talking about this next matchup one, it's going to be good because Utah's going to stay big. So he should play and you don't need Melly to play. You don't need Melly to play a single minute again for the rest of the season, but in this matchup, you really don't need Melly to play. Um, and then second, I mean, Utah's a team that Utah's going to move the ball side to side. They're going to yep. get you in rotation. Mm-hmm. And if there's a game where 
you know, if there was if there was a two game set where you could expect that you should see slippage from Jackson Hayes, it's going to be this game because there's going to be a lot going on in front of him and he's going to have to be smart enough to figure out what things are real and what things are just, you know, decoy actions. And, and so two literal technicians in Gobert and Favors on the offensive glass. You guys who do a phenomenal job on the offensive yeah, glass. I mean, he's going to have to, he's going to have to, he's going to have to log those minutes against, against Favors and he's going to have to box out. But I mean, as we saw, I mean, the, the, one of the weaknesses of Favors to a degree is his, is his lack of length and vertical explosion. So this could be a, a situation that, that plays into Jackson Hayes favor. If he doesn't bite on stuff and get completely right. out of position and get in foul trouble. Absolutely. So, but it, I guess maybe a transition from that is the rock of the team to me is Steven Adams. I can count on that guy yes. every single every single night. He will be in the right spot. He will be doing the right thing. Maybe his he has games where his box score isn't gr- as great as it was like last night. I checked on the just the tracking stats because I was interested. Not only did he have, I think it was either twelve or fourteen points last night. Fourteen is fourteen rebounds and four assists. He had seven screen assists last night. He's just stuffing the box score, and he's the only guy who's defending on the team at this point. He's the smartest guy on the team. That's what I tweeted yesterday. It's like it's not. It's not even close. Like you can't even think who's second. It's it's no. It's like Stephen Adams is the by far the smartest person on this team. You know how often he's guarding two people when a defense breaks down. He always makes the right choice. Right when he's contending with somebody driving versus his man, or somebody floating near the rim um, because somebody's gotten loose, it's just amazing just to watch him and, and how he plays percentages. And he's always guessing right. And oftentimes and, it comes up. The Pelicans come up with a stop even in those events, which you know speaks volumes. Considering, boy, the rest of the guys. And I, I got to say, not having Lonzo Ball these last three games has really shown up to me on the defensive end. Eric Bledsoe for all his, you know praise defensively i thought he was just terrible just terrible against Aaron fox as towards nikhil was a lot better right nikhil had a couple stops down the stretch what's that yeah oh you let's let's do that for the defense let's do this on the defense okay so yeah um we thought the defense was bad the last during the homestand those four games we thought it was bad it was it It was worse it's worse it was (laughs) this team is now just it's not even providing any resistance to opponents. 27th in the NBA in defensive rating. Um, remember, and there's still that you know how bad you have to be to be 27th in the last three games, yet still be in still 17th overall in the mm-hmm. NBA. That's how bad they've been. They're still 17th overall, but 27th in the last three games. But that also shows you how well they were playing defensively, too, to start. At the right? start. So, so I'm saying you had the fall off of four games, which we th- said was bad. So they've dropped off even further off a cliff, and and those they've dragged it all the way because even after those four, they were still top ten. Yeah, they dropped from ten to seventeen. So it's I mean it's been bad. Steals are down. Um, uh, points off turnovers they're slightly better because they're not turning the ball over, um, which is something we will t- we will certainly talk about. But just defensively. They're allowing more points in the paint than they were before. They're, they're fouling allowing more. 
they are yeah. fouling much more. Free yeah. throw attempts are way up, up to 24 a game. They're allowing, they were allowing 19. They're up to 24 attempts a game for opponents. Opponents are now shooting 41% from three against them, though the makes are only half a percentage point apart and attempts are actually down. But they're just shooting, they're getting much better, cleaner looks. They're um, not getting, they're not creating turnovers. They're not creating steals and opponents' assists are up. So they're getting, opponents are getting their feet in the paint to create clean shots. And then when they do get their feet in the paint, they are also scoring or getting fouled. So the defense has been bad in every fundamental way that Stan Van Gundy wants it to be good. They are still defensive rebounded. That's like, that's like, yes. that's the one thing they do is rebound. Yes. That's the one oh. thing they do. But that's but, mostly Steven Adams, like creating those opportunities. Well, I mean, number one, Steve, Steven Adams out there right now is hurting cats. I mean, it's ridiculous um, what he <laughs> has to deal with. But the thing is, is that, that just blows my mind is this team when they come out in the first quarter at the start of the game with their starters. And when they come out in the third quarter, like for the first like six or seven minutes, you see it like there's the defense. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just the fact that, you know, the coaching staff's message is fresher in their mind. I mean, they're playing against opponent starters at that point. You know, that's, that's, that's the unit that should score the most points on you. And the Pelicans are solid with those starting units. And then as the game goes on, the defense just gets worse and worse and worse. And like the Kings, the Kings were spreading the Pelicans out and getting quality looks almost every single trip, um, which was frustrating. Um, Thankfully the Kings are literally the worst team defensively that you could possibly imagine so i looked up the pelicans since since new year's day are allowed are allowing a defensive rating of 116 which is 26th in the league just behind the minnesota timberwolves um and the minnesota timberwolves probably lost today so they probably got even worse um all right the pelicans are at 26th at 116, right? The Sacramento Kings are last in the league at 126, almost like 10 points per 100 possessions worse than anybody else right. in the entire league. And the Pelicans only beat them by five? Was it five? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> but. And that's only, and quite literally, it's because if Zion Williamson doesn't have the most efficient night offensively of his career, and they don't make free throws at a historically high rate, they lose that game to the Sacramento Kings. They do. But like I said, I'm taking the long term, like, what am I seeing from the young guys? I already talked a lot about Jackson Hayes, so now I want to talk about Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And despite the last three games, especially, you know, the Clippers game and his offensive explosion, the thing that jumps out to me the most about Nikhil Alexander-Walker on both sides of the floor is the fact that he refuses to allow himself to get screened. Absolutely. Yes, he gives a lot of, but he is not defending well overall. Hmm. I think I think he's better than you're giving him credit for. His, I, I've, <laughs> I've looked at it with different lineups. I've looked at it as what. A no, what have your eyes told him. you, David? Because I'm just curious. Because I actually thought I, he, 
He was the best I, I think he defender is, for the Pelicans against the Kings. I, That's not saying much. I think but. he is not great at staying in front of people who dribble. Like, when you go straight at him, you can get him. As a team defender in space, he's pretty solid for a kid with his experience. Mm-hmm. He does, like I said, he fights through screens. He, is, he will attack the glass. All those things are positive. But as an individual defender, he's part of the reason that teams are getting in the paint. He is part of that. He and Josh Hart in particular, and Eric Bledsoe because of a lack of effort. But those two, that neither one of them is physically capable of staying in front of a quick ball handler. Yeah, I'll give you that. Nikhil does not have quick feet, so I That's have noticed what I'm that. I'm saying, but, but I, like I said, in space as a team defender, he, he is a willing and active team defender. But yeah. as an individual defender, he is not quick enough. Have you noticed he's in good feet. positions? I think he's been better fundamental positions to at least start a defensive possession than Eric Bledsoe. I thought Eric you can't was leave atrocious him on an island. Yeah. Oh, Bledsoe's yesterday. Not like I said, Bledsoe doesn't look to be trying. Nikhil just isn't quick enough. Josh Hart just isn't quick enough. They, they're trying, but they're just not quick enough. Bledsoe's quick enough. He just ain't trying. There's a big, that's the difference for me. Yeah, I've just noticed it since Lonzo sat down, man. It's like, oh, my God, now we've got to trust Bledsoe to stop the, the you know, the primary ball handler, the quickest guy on the opponent's team that's on the wing. I'm sorry, Fish, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying on, on Nikhil in terms of his, you know, one-on-one defense. But the thing is, is that if you told me a 22-year-old kid with essentially a handful of games under his belt – can go out there and be a very – I feel like he's a very good team defender already in terms of the things that he's doing on the weak side, getting down and tagging rollmen. Um, he gets his hands into a lot of um, passing lanes that don't necessarily result in steals. But when you tip a pass – you know, that's meant for the opposite side of the court and you're the guy, you know, weak side zoning on that side and you tip that pass. So now the pass takes a little bit longer to collect. You don't get anything on the stat sheet. You know, you have to track it down and, you know, the NBA stats tracking hustle stats or whatever. But that deflection slowed down the ball rotation and it allowed your defense to get back on its footing so they're not one pass away from an open three-pointer. Like, that's valuable. That's, that's something that coaching staffs way before we had all these analytics was something that they knew was something that happens and is valuable, those kind of deflections. And that's something that he does. Um, and but the big thing to me is the fact that he fights through and around screens, not just on the ball, but off the ball, which when you think of what, Nikhil Alexander ideally slots into on this team long-term as a shooting guard, either in the starting lineup or, you know, as a kind of microwave off the bench, his ability to not be just a complete non-factor defensively and not be hunted defensively is, is a huge boon because right now what happens when JJ Reddick comes on the floor, he's hunted because he's too small. He's, he's too slow um, and he doesn't have the wingspan, you know, to affect passes and stuff like Nikhil Alexander-Walker is. Nikhil Alexander-Walker was out there playing a lot of his minutes guarding Paul George, and he wasn't hunted. Like, yes, Paul George got his points, he got his numbers, but it's it's not a situation that we see where, I mean, 
Kyra deals with this a little bit when he checks in is the fact that he's so small that he's hunted and it, it's hard to get him minutes. I, I feel like for the team, because he's going to be hunted defensively, JJ Reddick. Certainly- he's held up very well defensively. Oh Kyra yeah. Has done a, an, as an individual defender, Kyra, I think has the higher ceiling. Of oh yeah. Anyone. Yeah. Like, Cause that's, Kyra, Kyra can stay in front and, and, and he's that's long his value. for his, he's long at his height. Yeah. But right now he's, He's slight and he's not, he's 19 years old and you can tell that he's playing against men, I guess, is, is what you're seeing out there. Because there, there were more than a couple times that, you know, Fox pretty much just bumped him off his spot and said, you know, I'm, I'm taking you to the rim and you can just come with me. Um, but I see what you're saying in terms of he has quick feet. He, he looks like he's going to have a, a lot of stay in front and he has, he has, he has good basketball instincts and once we get to talking about what Kyra is doing offensively I can I can gush more but when we were talking about defense and stuff like that I really just wanted to focus on the fact if you watch Nikhil Alexander defending especially off of the ball especially when he's off of the ball and see what he's doing and his activity and the things that he's doing if 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 more casual fans watched that and focused on that maybe I think they could understand why I'm so high on Nikhil Alexander-Walker. It doesn't have nearly as much to do with the fact that he scored 37 points as people think. It's because he does a lot of stuff. And and Steven Adams even mentioned that post-game um, after the Kings game, is that he sees that Nikhil's head is in the right spot and he's trying to do the right things defensively. And that's something Steven Adams out there, you know, being a kindergarten teacher, hurting these guys, Nikhil's sticking out as like the star pupil of you know what you're doing. Uh, my thing is, I think Nikhil's ceiling is as a second unit guy because his of, of his athleticism, lack of athleticism. Like that, I think that's I think he will be a solid six man. But I think, and that's what I would rather have Nikhil than Josh Hart if that's the case. Um, and but I think that's where Nikhil just his lack of athleticism ultimately, um, to me, is the one thing that's going to hurt him against frontline offensive players. And if he's going to be a starter, that means he's going to be competing night in and night out against frontline offensive players for the majority of his minutes. I think he'd be at a disadvantage, but as a six man, I think he could do like be that he could be effective. You could do, he could do enough within the team scope of the defense, but with a Pelicans team, that's as bad as it is defensively. He doesn't make the defense overall better. He doesn't make it worse but he just doesn't make it better. And, and like, that's, again, he's young. I'm like, I, I agree with you. He hasn't had enough experience, but I think ultimately his ceiling, if, you, if I was going to put him against the very best in the NBA, his defense is going to be the thing that makes me put him on a second unit. And that's, that's, that's the case for a lot of guys in this league. Ali. Yeah. I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic than you. He's played like what? 800 minutes total on the court. <laughs> And I love what Jamel McMillan said after his 37-point performance. Um, he didn't accolade, you know, the fact that he scored that many points. No, he basically said that a lot of guys in this NBA are basically in it for the lifestyle, but not Nikhil. He's all about getting better. And that's all we've heard about, especially since, you know, training camp to date, right? And I think that just bodes well. So when you look at his, you know, to me, his height, his reach, his versatility, I think he could definitely carve out a starting position if he puts on a little bit more weight and stuff because I feel like mentally he's, he's starting to really get the game. You know, a lot of guys who are 
in it for themselves or just still, you know, have that young mentality. Off a 37-point performance, you better believe they're going to launch at least 10, 12, 15 shots the next game. Nikhil hasn't done that. I was, in fact, impressed that he only shot the ball, what, seven, eight times, I think in the last two games, something like that. He's actually looked to play make more. And, yeah, he's had a couple bad turnovers and there's been other issues. But I can see him literally growing. And, like I said, he hasn't even played 1,000 minutes yet. So yeah. I'm not going to cap a guy who I think is going to be a very good shooter. At a minimum, I think if you're going to start in this league, if you don't have that incredible athleticism, you got to be able to fall back on your shooting as a wing player slash guard. And I think Nikhil's going to be able to do that. I think he's going to be a catch-and-shoot 40% guy for his career. I don't know. He just seems to have that touch. His shot looks really good. I like his shot. I like yeah, his shot. So I'm just – yeah, I'm just, just basically – I know. But, David, I'm not writing him off as being a potential starter on, on a good Pelicans team. I'm really not. I think it's way too early to go there, personally. I'm, I'm not writing him off. I'm saying that's what I see today. Like, that, if I, if I were scouting him, I'd say – and I will tell you this. I spoke to the same Jamel McMillan, and the one thing that we both said, and he agreed with me on this, he, all the things you used, that he said, he, he still said. But the thing he also we also talked about was that you just don't see the foot quickness. Like, you just don't see it. And that I'd like, if you're a net negative, if he ends up being a net negative because he can't defend against elite front, I mean, backcourt players. Like, I think defensively, he's a tweener because you can't put, you can't guard ones and twos effectively individually. But is he, is he going to get big enough? And I think he has the opportunity physically to get bigger mm-hmm. to guard threes. And that's where I'd like to see him be able to defend threes. Those are things that we'll see if they happen. But I'm just saying today, that's what I would say. And like, if, if you were betting, my, if I were betting the futures, mm-hmm. I would say his seal, his ceiling is higher than Josh Hart's in my opinion. Oh, his easy. Ceiling. God, no, no, no. So, yeah. so if that's the case to me, and I think it's not even close in my mind, I would take, I would invest my time in getting Nikhil minutes on a regular basis as my sixth guy. Like that to me, you know, makes sense to me because I know every night if I can get him. 28 to 32 minutes as a playing against mixing with my starters and reserves. I think he won't against with good, with a good defensive starting lineup. He can be effective. And then against second units, he could, he can go off offensively and be as aggressive as he wants to be. Whereas he feels like he has to defer at times when he's a starter. And I would say after that 37, dude, you can still be aggressive too. Yeah. It's good to be mature and everything, but the guy who needs to be more aggressive and I think let's segue to him in my opinion is Brandon Ingram, who for the last 10 games in my mind has not been the player that, especially after we had that press conference and he said, kill everybody in front of me and make, you know, destroy. He has not done that. He's not been that he's not been clutch. He's not been an impact defender and his, his rebounding has been down. He's not attacked the rim with the same aggressiveness. I have not enjoyed the Brandon Ingram of the last few games. Uh, Fish, you may have the first word. I, I see what you're saying in terms of the fact he's, he's settling a lot for the mid-range. Um, <clears throat> the thing that kind of jumps out at me is the fact, that especially the last three games, his assists have been weighed down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that is, is it isn't concerning to me, um, but it's something that I was really liking that the Pelicans were running a lot of the ball through him. I think something Who else that was I, going to initiate the offense 
when you don't have Lonzo, you don't have you didn't have Bledsoe for the first game, and you weren't getting assists out of Nikhil or Kyra at that point. At that point, and Brandon's assists have been very low. Like you said, that's what he was supposed to be doing was initiating the offense. So, I mean, I would like him to be, you know, piling up more assists than he has, but I, I get that, you know, he's, he's kind of settling a little bit for more mid range shots, but the thing is, man, he's so automatic on them at at the same time. um, The thing I would like to see is I would like to see him get to the foul line a lot more often. Like if you, if you ask me, you know, do, do one thing more, Brandon Ingram over the next couple games, especially, especially when we're talking about the opponent, the Utah jazz, go to the, go to the hole more, collapse their defense more, get some fouls on Rudy Gobert um, and get some easy buckets at the foul line. Um, I'd like to see him do that more. And I would like to see him rack up some more assists one thing I think the Pelicans can do that will help that is the Pelicans right now, how they structure their offense is they do a lot of stuff where it's Brandon and Brandon Ingram and Steven Adams are going to run some kind of action on one side of the court. And if that's not working, then we're going to flip the ball to the other side of the court and see if we can't stuff it into Zion in the post in terms of what they're running in the half court. They run different stuff where they have Zion, you know, coming from the dunker spot up towards the elbow and then curling back towards the basket. They run that kind of stuff when they're in, you know, semi-transition and stuff like that where they get a lot of good looks from it. But when the Pelicans are, especially in crunch time, they kind of divide the court in half and they say this court side of the court is Zion's half of the court and this side of the court is Brandon Ingram's side of the court and mostly we're going to run a lot of stuff where Brandon Ingram has to dribble a whole lot he's going to get a screen from Steven Adams and then it's all up to him or Steven Adams and why is everything everything that Ingram is doing is down significantly everything his turnovers are up his assists are down his shooting percentage is down his points per game are down like where where is this thing that he's like the evidence is not there as a player effective offensively and he's been the worst player on the team in multiple lineups that have the Pelicans have used the most he shows up on the at the worst scale so where is Ingram's consistency as a late? Well, no, I mean, he hasn't been consistent, but what I'm saying is is what I think the Pelicans should do in order to kind of unlock him a little bit and get him more as a creator is they need to have more sets where it's Brandon Ingram and Zion in the same action. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean that Brandon Ingram is the one handling the ball all the time. I would like to see them get a lot more sets where they get the ball to Zion Williamson and Zion Williamson is the ball handler with a very simple read because my, my I guess my concern with Zion Williamson is when he tries to do, do too much with the ball, we've seen a lot of um, ball handling turnovers is get some sets where we're going to try to get Zion Williamson <coughs> downhill. Um, but the screener is going to be, Brandon Ingram and then Brandon Ingram is going to slip. And if you guys switch that or cleanly switch that, then the, the 
the secondary attack of that is as your defense is a little bit jumbled because you probably committed a lot of bodies to Zion when he was dribbling the ball, you pass it back out to Ingram and you set up your secondary action where now Steven Adams is the screener. The defense is a little bit, you know, trying to collect itself and you can get Brandon Ingram either better looks or after the defense attempts to, you know, get themselves back into some semblance of organization, can you then, you know, is is that going to open up some looks for Zion Williamson after after he's given up the ball? Those are the kind of sets that I would like the Pelicans to run more often, whereas it feels like to me that they're kind of running a 2K offense sometimes where it's like, hey, this guy doesn't have his stats. We're going to run a play now to try to get Brandon Ingram a shot. And now we're going to try to run a play and we're going to try to get Zion Williamson a shot instead of we're going to run an offensive set and whichever, whoever ends up getting the good shot out of these guys, that's the good shot. Let's, let's create good shots. I feel like a lot of times. But isn't that some on the players too? Like moving the ball, they're not screening. They're not doing those things either. Like, well, I I can't believe that in the meetings when they set up the offense, it's like, stand there and let Brandon dribble. I cannot believe that's what they're telling them to do offensively. I can't believe that that's what Stan Van Gundy is saying to come out and do is have, wait till you get to this last six or seven seconds of a clock and, and shoot a bad shot. That cannot be their game plan. Some of this has to be falling on the players. And so what responsibility does he bear in this? What is he not doing? Because to me, he's not, like I said, he's not rebounding. He's not attacking the rim. He's not defending. And he said, this is the dude who said, I'm going to kill everyone in front of me. So even if the coach is writing you passive offensive sets, when the ball is in your hands, you determine what's going to be done with it. I don't know. Ali, you want to take this? (laughs) I, I think it's a couple of factors. One, I think the book is out on the Pelicans very easily. You stop Zion, you concentrate everything else on Brandon Ingram. Um, Second thing is, I'm still trying to figure out why, but he's now getting some kind of tunnel vision because he's now not reading screens and trying to play make for others. In the Kings game especially, you saw it. He was just looking to score. And never mind the fact that Zion's just destroying people on the inside. The Pelicans are getting inside the lane so easily. Brandon suddenly like had a stretch where he attempted like four or five jumpers in a row, almost seemingly. And the Pelicans mm-hmm. kind of fell into that lull too, because we were talking about it. But I feel like B.I. is the one that kind of got them started in the, that kind of mindset. And I can't figure it out. Is he playing a little bit hurt? I saw him take a heck of a shot on a legal screen in the first half. And you saw him grimace, grimacing on walking to back to the bench. So was he favoring some kind of injury towards the second half of yesterday's game to where he honestly just felt like I'm just going to shoot some jumpers because that's all I've really got in me. I don't know. But either way, the trend is troubling, as David's been alluding to, right? He hasn't you know, scored over 25 points since, I want to say, at the start of this month. Um, the assists haven't been there outside of Charlotte. I mean, they've been really low. And, of course, the turnovers being up, it's, it, it's really a troubling sign because that's kind of the B.I. we saw a lot last year. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Hopefully it's just a momentary glitch. You know, I don't I, have a good answer for it. I, I, I don't, I, I don't feel like I'm watching the same games that you guys are with, with well, David, with, we're holding him to the standard that he set for himself. And he started 
playing that way at the start of the year, right? He's not yeah. that same guy, correct? No, no. I mean, he's had, I mean, he had eight assists like four games ago. Um, so it's not like, I mean, he's had what he had five assists. I mean, the Lakers game, obviously you kind of throw it out because it was a blowout, but um, I mean, he scored more turnovers than assists per game over the last few games. Now he was at one and a half to, it was like at one and a half to one coming out the gate. And now he's like at point like zero to uh, point eight so it's like I just, I just i just think we're digging way too deep into like a three-game stretch where he's defended primarily it's not just three goal. games though it's not just three games this was going back his numbers started going back like i said this is about like a five six game stretch now of games well, where mean, he has not been effective on the defensive end and he has not scored in an efficient manner like this it's it's becoming there have only been 12 games like so, so what what what's what sample size are we supposed to go off of? I'm saying well, I mean, today. Like I mean, if you look at, for instance, his last three games, like if we're wondering if if he's been bad his last three games, yes, uh, he's averaging twenty one point three points a game. His assists are his assists are a little down, um, and his rebounds are a little down. Um, and his shooting percentage is up. I mean, he shot, he shot, you know, eight for 19 last night. He shot nine for 15 the game before that. I mean, he's, he's it's not like he's having some terrible shooting night. Mm-hmm. And then you go the three games before that, if you're like, man, he's, he's not really creating the three games before that. He look had at his shot chart. Look at had, his shot chart. Go look at the shot chart. That third yeah. quarter where he did not take a single shot at the rim, where the only shots at the rim were, were for Steven Adams. And you're Brandon Ingram, and you're playing against these teams, and you stand out there, and the only shots they made in the quarter were threes because they refused to attack. And Ingram kept settling for the jumper early in the clock or off of one dribble or two dribbles, not setting his man up. He wasn't being aggressive in those situations. I'm sorry, he wasn't, Ollie. You, you know what I'm talking about, Ollie. But no, I, I, I do. They have one or two fast possessions. No, it, it's true. I mean, B, B, Brandon's just not attacking like he should be as a primary play, playmaker on the team um, recently. I only like one one quarter out of like the last five out of him. And honestly, it was when he played opposite Nikhil in the first quarter against the Clippers. I thought those guys had a certain synergy to where they would create and they would get to the rim or at least into the lane, either guy. And... You know, I, I kind of liked it. But since that time, we haven't seen it at all. Now, like I said, I, I don't know if the defenses are really just, you know, stacking the deck against B.I. And so he's just going to do what he does well, which is still shoot, you know, mid-range shots. He can rise up over anybody and maybe he's overly relied on it. And, of course, the passes haven't been there um, like they have been, you know, at the start of the year. But, yeah, I, I'm in between you guys. I'm not going to be as hard, David, as you are, Grub, but – is fish. I, I still think you have to hold him to a higher standard just because he is the number one guy. He wants it. He's talking about it. And when, when you're just, like I said, in that Kings game and you've got to roll him, you, you, the Pelicans are destroying, smashing the Kings at the rim. And suddenly he decides to take several jumpers in a row. He's not affecting the game defensively, getting others going. You know, that's just, you have to raise an eye at that. If this is supposed to be your all star slash all NBA player. 
That's all. It's not a big deal per se, that, but it has to be mentioned. Yeah, uh, I think the the one guy. Uh oh, we lost fish. I think. Did we lose yeah. him? Still here. I'm still, oh, okay. no, I think the the one guy though. I think that has he's not exempt from criticism, but I think who has um, amongst the regulars outside of Stephen Adams, who has started to afford himself somewhat better. Um, he still has a ways to go defensively, and also we're judging him after 34 games now. But Zion Williamson is showing better instincts defensively. Um, he still needs to work on his rebounding in my in, in our all of our opinions, I would think. But he still needs to work there. But he's he's again boxing out is the one the big fundamental thing there. But he's being efficient off more efficient offensively than he was at the beginning of the season. Um, I think he's been using his shot better, getting his position better. Um, I, I like what I'm seeing out of Zion. And then physically, I think he looks noticeably different. I think that's something you guys have seen as well, not body-wise, but the, the explosion, the, the change of direction, those things look to be there that maybe we didn't think we saw in the first few games of the season. Ali? Yeah, there, there's no doubt that suddenly we're not talking about multiple times in the game. He's just jogging out to contest a shot, or he's just not making a second effort defensively. No, those have significantly, those instances have significantly decreased. And offensively, I feel like he's more certain. And I feel like it's been since maybe the Thunder or the Hornets game, but mm -hmm. he's really found a good rhythm to where he's not, you know, bulldozing people, losing his handle, um, or getting himself going up against two shot blockers at the rim to where he's getting rejected, you know, a good mm -hmm. number of times. No, he's, he's, he's suddenly found a good, you know, like I said, a hot streak here for himself, especially offensively. So, God, it's a shame we didn't have him for the Clippers game because I think he could have made the difference in that one. But, yeah, in those other four games that he has played in, like the last four, he, I think he's been extremely, a thousand times, a lot better than we saw during, say, the first, what, five, six games. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Fish. Yeah, I agree. And the, the biggest thing that that's jumped out to me, um, one, the Pelicans are getting him more touches at the top of the key. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing that you can't you can't defend Zion Williamson like teams try to defend Ben Simmons. You can't just give him a runway and say, We dare you to shoot because mm -hmm. Zion Williamson isn't just gonna settle for, you know, the three or just be like, Well, I'm just gonna pass it around. We can run some more offense. If you give him runway, he's just gonna attack that guy. Most of the time he's guarded by big men and he has enough. He has, he has a better first step, a, a, a much better first step in terms of his ability to create his own advantage than say Brandon Ingram does. Brandon Ingram needs a lot of assistance with screens and stuff like mm -hmm. that actions to get him the opening, the advantage he needs to get his shot off. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we see the, we see the Pelicans kind of build around that because they run a lot of Steven Adams, you know, screens for him. Zion Williamson, you can give him the ball on the wing or at the top of the key and just tell him go around that guy 
and he has enough shake, even though he's always he's going left, it seems like, that he can go around that guy. And a lot of that's because he's he's defended by fours and he's abnormally quick for a four man, regardless of, you know, how big he is. And then, like you were saying, we're seeing a lot more of the explosion. I mean, the, the dunks that he had in the Sacramento game were just shocking. The, the <laughs> by the way, how was Antonio Daniels reaction? Did you see that fish? Yes. I didn't see that. Um, I mean, <laughs> so he catches that ball and it's kind of on the right block extended. Um, and he makes a little jab step to the baseline. And whoever this poor child was <laughs> forgot that Zion Williamson was left-handed. And all of that is just a ruse to get to his left hand. And he gets just a half a step to the left. And against any other player that wasn't Zion Williamson, when he gets back over into position and tries to con- contest, he probably gets a piece of the shot. He might be, you know, called for a foul or whatever. Instead, Zion Williamson is dunking all over that man's entire family line for the next seven generations. It was, and then he had another one that wasn't really on anyone early in the second quarter where they ran that kind of half transition thing where I was talking about where Kyra penetrates along the right Mm -hmm. baseline and he kind of just pitch passes it behind himself to Zion who's curling around and because of the action there's just nobody between him and the rim and he just goes up off of two feet but we've seen a lot more explosion from Zion Williamson and a lot more of that just quick, quick twitch um, first step. And it, he, he really leans hard on that in and out dribble with his left hand. Cause yes. he, I mean, that that's his go-to right now. Like if you ask me, what is his, his move, he wants to go to that or he'll go to his right hand and he has, you know, every intention that he's going to spin back to his left hand but he just in and outs with that left and all he needs is a little bit. And once he gets his shoulders, even, even with somebody it's over, like they can't get off the ground as fast as he he's going to, they can't knock him off his spot. Um, The one thing I would say is I hope, and I mentioned this on Twitter today, I hope the Pelicans are just compiling a video of all the time Zion is getting bumped and hacked going to the rim because he probably should be shooting four mm-hmm. to five more free throws a game. How many, how many, how many games do you think this season that Zion has had it had more than six free throw attempts? More than six. I would say four. It's definitely less than last year. It's noticeable. It is probably like three or four. Like it's, it's, it's not four. Near, it's, it's four. And he has, and, and he's hasn't had one since excuse me oh my goodness um since the indiana game mm. he has not attempted seven or more free throws in, since indiana and he did that that was back-to-back games at home uh toronto and indiana he had a combined 18 free throws in those games and then he had um 22 combined against miami and san antonio in no other game this season um, has he shot more than six free throws but I mean, from uh, like his ability to draw fouls, like he's doing the things that should draw oh, that, fouls. That's, like what I'm saying. To- that's why I'm pointing <laughs> to the fact that what you're saying is that the, the, it is not right that someone who takes the contact that he does and works yeah. where he works is struggling to get to the free throw line. That, I mean, he's making them. 
while yeah. he's there. But yeah, and that, that's there. the other thing is the fact that his free throw sh- stroke has lo- has looked a lot better, um, really since you know since the big win over OKC. Like he's yep. he's been shooting you know somewhere around seventy percent, and if he's shooting around seventy percent and he gets to the line as much as he should be earning at this point, you're talking about somebody that probably averages you know twenty five to thirty points a game. Um, I'm with you in that I feel like he's 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 improving defensively and I think when when we see I don't think that Zion is slow because he's lazy I think Zion is slow defensively when it looks like he's slow because he doesn't understand what he's seen or what he's supposed to do mm-hmm. unsure and yes. when he's unsure he's passive because yeah. he's not attacking And the more that he understands what he's seen and understands what he's supposed to do and just goes and attacks, the better his defense will be. And the only way for him to get that familiarity is just more minutes. Because like Ali said at the beginning, I mean, we're talking about a guy that has like less than 40 games played. Like your typical rookie. (laughs) I mean, I mean, your typical rookie. Um, by January of his first year would have over 40 games played. Um, so he's just he's just at a deficit of game reps that you hope to supplement with, you know, a lot of film study and talking with talking with the coaches. And from everything that I can see about Zion Williamson, it's all basketball all the time for that guy. So I, I feel like his his head is in the place where you want it to be um, as a Pelican fan. But it's 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 a situation where check back with me in 20 games, you know, if he's been playing the whole time. And I expect that we're going to see in 20 games, especially because the Pelicans are getting to after this week to a, a situation where their schedule is going to be lighter, that he's going to understand what's happening in front of him and he's going to be continue to get more aggressive. And we're going to see Zion, you know, attacking a passing lane and dunking in transition more often. I think that's something that we're going to see, you know, once a game or once every other game, once he really starts to understand what's happening in front of him and, and gets, you know, gets past that, uncertainty which is leading to a situation where he decides not to make a decision because he's concerned he would make the wrong one yep paralysis by analysis um we have not talked about uh kyra lewis jr who um i think you know again a kid who reclassified so he graduated high school early um played one year at alabama um as we talked about, he may weigh 175 pounds, maybe, but he's shown some toughness. He's shown aggressiveness as a north-south driver, which is something the Pelicans do not have. People who do, um, he, he goes straight ahead. He has not turned the ball over. He's created shots for other people, and he's made open shots when they've been presented to him. I don't have a lot of negatives to say, um, if, if any, other than maybe he, he needs more minutes um, about Kyra Lewis Jr. Uh, Fish, you may have the floor. Oh, Ollie doesn't want to jump in on that? Goodness. Um, so I'm gonna let, I was going to let Ollie close, so that's okay. why I give you the first. Here, here's the thing that, that jumps out to me 
to on, on Kyra is the times where he drives on pick and rolls and he gets the ball to the opposite side. That is a pass that Amen. <laughs> that that is a pass that you can try to teach to somebody. You can try to have them watch film about hey, get underneath the basket and then fling it to the opposite corner. But to be able to do it in game at you know full speed when he's coming downhill and then i mean he had one pass where he was driving down and he threw it not to the opposite corner but he was on one block and he threw it to the opposite wing to set up josh hart with a wide open three which josh hart of course clanked off the rim because he's been cold lately but there there are there are flashes of extremely high level basketball iq that is married to tremendous court vision and passing ability in it. And that is something that I don't think is very teachable. And the other thing that I've seen that really jumps out to me on Kyra is he already understands how to manipulate pick and roll and get his defender on his hip and behind him. Now he's not big enough to really make, you know, a huge advantage of that yet, but I've seen enough of him shooting floaters, um, you know, in warmups when, when they show him <laughs> the few times that they show him in warmups and the times that, that he's attempted it, you can tell that it's a shot he's confident in. And when you have a point guard that can make the in-between game and can fling it to the opposite corners, once he's coming downhill in the pick and roll. And like you had mentioned previously, he can stay in front and he has a lot of length. There's a lot to like about Kyra long-term and just hopefully the Pelicans find a way to scratch out minutes for him once, you know, all the backcourt options are healthy again, which is expected to be uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, he, the, the, the toughest things for him are things that you would expect at, at his age, Ali, right? I mean, he, you know, he gets some fouls at times because, again, he's a rookie. And he will at times, you know, get himself in trouble going too fast. But I'd much rather have to throttle him back than to get him going. Yeah, for the most part, I've been thoroughly impressed, even though I feel like he doesn't have the confidence um, that we want him to see in his shot yet or in just unleashing his full abilities. Because I don't think we've seen, you know, the Jets that we saw, uh, the afterburners in college to where he's legitimately going to go from one end to the other. And he's going to basically put as much pressure on you as a, a De'Aaron Fox. But I'm actually also happy on the other hand that he has dialed it back and he's trying to not do too much because that's not what this team needs. That's not what Stan Van Gundy wants to see. And so I think here's the beautiful result. 54 minutes played. He's got one turnover. Has a rookie point guard ever done that before previously? I'm sure somebody has, but I'll tell you what, it won't be anybody that we can come up with because that that's impressive. And Fish is right. He is making some reads and passes to where you would normally expect a young point guard who's attempting those passes to either make a misread or, you know, misfire a little bit. No, he hasn't done it. He's hit everybody in between the numbers. So, oh, I, I, I honestly can't wait. I cannot wait for him to be the starting point guard, this Pelicans team. And I think it's going to happen. Uh, maybe not this year, but I think we've seen enough out of him. The only thing he's got to do is get stronger. He's yeah. not confident, especially on getting all the way to the rim yet. And when he does, he chooses not to attempt a shot, but either keep going through or, you know, swinging the pass out to somebody else. But I think that'll come in time. But overall, man, 
you've got to be impressed. One of you guys already talked about him defensively. That has also surprised me, right? Despite his build, he, he's literally doing a pretty good job. I've only seen him get bodied um, out of the way by whoever he's been defending on drives to the rim only maybe a couple of times, right? And that's it. In 54 minutes, that's great. Um, I, we can ignore Nicola Melli, uh, who I... He needs know. to be ignored. I hope he's so. have does too. I he's mean, Nicola look, Stan Van Gundy said it himself. He's like, here's the difference between J.J. Redick um, and Nicola Melli, right? They're struggling with their shots. This was before J.J. kind of found a shot. J.J., we're not getting him good shots, and he's got the resume. We know he's going to get it going. Nicola Melli, no, I've talked to him, and look, he's had some good open looks. He's just not making them. So, in other words, that screams red flag. This guy's got no confidence, and he's a shooter. Ugh, I don't know how he can play him going forward, at least for maybe a week or two. And he contributes to nothing else. No. And that's the thing. If you were going to miss shots and you were pulling down double-digit boards or you're blocking shots or getting steals or whatever, getting assists, he does none of that. So it's like he's literally there only if you you need someone to suck up a couple minutes. Like that's he has no other purpose. David, you want to add anything, Fish? No, just don't and, play him anymore. Just don't play him anymore. And <laughs> good, good that JJ has been shooting the ball better um, as of late. But again, that's what you expect out of JJ Redick. There's no, there's no upside for JJ Redick. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if either he's shooting the ball well or he's not. That's like you don't you don't ever come out and be like, well, you know, JJ did have four assists tonight. I don't really care about that. JJ makes shots. That's what it's always going to come down to for JJ. But and that's what you want out of the Pelicans bench, right, guys? I mean, please contribute something. And I feel like they have over the last handful of games. That I mean, that's the thing to me with with Redick and Melly is like you can have one guy that comes off the bench and he exists to shoot. You right. can't have two guys that come off the bench and they exist to shoot. And one of those guys isn't even respected as a shooter and isn't even making the shots when he's given the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, part of the reason I think that JJ Redick has been cooling off, uh, has been heating up actually and defrosting a little bit outside is the fact the Pelicans have gotten him good shots, uh, mm-hmm. easier shots. He's not like all of his three point attempts aren't after coming around a screen for a handoff from Jackson Hayes. And he's trying to, you know, take a drifting um, 27 footer with a hand in his face. Like he's right. been, he's been getting good shots. And the thing is, that, dribbles. yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, eventually like JJ Reddick's a professional shooter. He's, he's yeah. one of the best shooters in NBA history. You get him more looks with his feet set in transition and stuff like that the ball's eventually going to go through the hoop. And then once the ball starts going through the hoop and he gets, I mean, I don't think Reddick has a confidence issue. No, 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 no. But the thing is, is that once he sees the ball go through the hoop a little bit and he starts to feel it, um, then, you know, you can get the ball rolling downhill for him. So, so yeah, I'm not worried about JJ. Um, I think the big thing is, I'm sorry. Now, I was going to say, I don't want to make sure we don't forget to talk about with Lonzo Ball coming back. Yeah, that's back. what I was going to do. That's what okay, I was gotcha. Cool. into. Cool. So the, the, the guy who has been noticeably absent from this road trip is one Mr. Lonzo Ball, who was struggling himself um, quite mightily before uh, the knee injuries um, were revealed. I don't know when, the, when he started feeling soreness, so I'm not going to attribute it or excuse any of his prior poor play because of that, and I don't think he would either. Um, so we're not going to do that. 
but we can say this, Lonzo was not playing well um, before this trip started. But where offensively he may not be missed currently, um, defensively, I still see where he could play a huge role for this team. Um, I don't the issues at this point for me that that you that that he needs to fix the aggressiveness driving to the basket. Um, look, yeah, he's gotten better at the mid range pull up. It looks nice. It looks like a good shot. Um, he's still inconsistent with the three. He still doesn't finish. He still doesn't get free throws. Those things are problematic. Um, I think paired with Nikhil Alexander Walker per se. If, if those two were the starting lineup, I think they could do good things together. But I think as long as it's him and Eric Bledsoe, it's going to not work offensively. Um, I'll I'm let you go because I know Fish has a lot of Lonzo thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish that we would hear Stan Van Gundy say, Lonzo Ball is going to start, as you just mentioned. He's coming back. And Nikhil gets the start at two. I, I already like the way Nikhil and Brandon – play off of each other. So adding Lonzo, who I think takes a lot of pressure and maybe it just adds comfort to Brandon, but you got to keep him there in, in that role because defensively he's your best perimeter player, hands down, no question about it. So Lonzo's going to play. The question is, do you have the guts to put Bledsoe on, on the bench? And I think Bledsoe would actually flourish, uh, you know, coming off the bench as kind of, okay, go get your shot. Cause we've seen when Bledsoe's aggressive, he makes a good impact mm-hmm. on, on right on not, not only the score, the but yeah, on, on the team in general because he breaks down defenses relatively well. He doesn't get all the way to the rim. That's one thing that a lot of these Pelicans guards can't do, but he still does enough. So I would, I think he would honestly, his best role might be coming off the bench, especially when Lonzo's sitting. Right, you still have a good perimeter defender out there, and he can lead the second units because Kyrus. Obviously, still not ready for it, and you don't want to really entrust Nikhil to be doing that. Who, like I said, keep him with really other good players and just let mm-hmm. him fit and pick, pick his spots. Mm-hmm. But you know, I firmly believe that Stan's going to go back to the, the original starting lineup. Why? Because they have performed well all year. It'd be another totally argument, I think, for Stan if the starters weren't getting off the good starts earlier in the year, but they have. So you you've just got to expect it, right? Bledsoe and Lonzo are going to be starting in, in, in Utah against the Jazz tomorrow. Before, before I turn it over to Fish, Ollie, do you think that David Griffin has, has say in the minutes with, these, with some of these players that Bledsoe, he, remember his relationship with Bledsoe goes back to Phoenix. Um, it's, do you think that he has influence over how Stan Van Gundy puts his lineup together in his minutes? Oh, I know general managers and coaches talk all the time, and they even talk about stuff like minutes but usually it's just more suggestive especially if it's a decent relationship um but because i, I remember hearing about how Demps and monty honestly argued a few times yeah. about the exact same thing who should play who should how many minutes and they got into like some kind of confrontational type of situations a few times but i don't foresee that happening between griff and stan especially in their first year i you know, I can see Griff suggesting something, but Stan's ultimately going to go with what's in his gut, which is, I think, the correct call. Fish, the, you, you may let it go. So here's the issue with Lonzo. is It's the situation with his contract after this year and what it does for the minutes of Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis. 
that is the extent of what I think the Pelican should prioritize, which is I think the Pelican should prioritize a situation where they make sure that they can still get Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis consistent minutes going forward because of what it builds for the team beyond this season. So with that in mind, I look at the guards that are available and I say, how can I construct a rotation where I, I mean, it's easy to get Nikhil minutes because Nikhil can guard credibly one through three. Now he's, he's better, you know, the further down the scale that is, but he can guard credibly one through three. Um, okay. And he's well, not going to be, he's not going to be hunted defensively if he's guarding a point guard now is he going to be as effective defensively if he's guarding a point guard compared to guarding a shooting guard or a small forward no he won't um and lonzo ball obviously is the best defender of that group and he is the most versatile and he is he is huge as a guard right but i want to get nikio minutes and i know i can get him minutes i want to get kyra minutes and I know that Kyra is pigeonholed as a one defensively. So how do I get Kyra minutes? And it's not, I put Eric Bledsoe on the bench too. If I put Eric Bledsoe on the bench, the end, end game of that is Kyra Lewis doesn't play anymore. That, that, that's how that, that, that end game plays out. Is if you move, you know, if you start Lonzo and Nikhil, and then you put Eric Bledsoe on the bench. Now you have Eric Bledsoe, J.J. Redick, and Josh Hart coming off the bench. You don't have minutes for Kyra Lewis anymore. <coughs> if you put Eric Bledsoe in the starting lineup, and then Kyra Lewis is coming off the bench with Lonzo and Josh Hart and J.J. Redick, you can play Lonzo as a small forward. But why would you do that? That doesn't make sense to me at all. That is a terrible defensive group. That is an awful defensive group. You've got two bad defensive groups because your starting lineup is worse defensively and your second unit is worse defensively. See, I don't think think a defensive lineup that has Eric Bledsoe and Nikhil Alexander at the top and Steven Adams at center is a bad defensive group. And I don't think because they've of how been bad they're... together. They've been very bad together so far. Yeah, but it's like it's like they they've played like 18 minutes total like and most of those minutes are against the Lakers. Like I'm not going to read too deeply. Lonzo into... didn't play in the well, just... <laughs> No, here's what I'm looking at. The Lakers and the Kings, right? No Lonzo. What did Dennis Schroeder do? What did De'Aaron Fox do? Pelicans had no chance of stopping either one, I felt like, with whoever they had available. I think Lonzo has to start from that viewpoint alone. But, yeah, but the thing is, what I'm saying is we have to – if 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 the argument is we have to start Lonzo because he solves the defense, but then also, like – That solves really- helps. But, David, yeah, you're trying yeah, to argue like, from the standpoint, right, of getting Kyra Lewis minutes. I, I mean, put yourself Kyra in Lewis Stan Van Gundy's shoes. Kyra Lewis is not shoes. my most important issue. Yeah, getting, Winning. getting my rookie, my 19-year-old rookie, who's not going to be starting for me this year or next, he's, that, that should not be my priority is getting Kyra minutes. I got to win games, man, because I can't get fired. 
and you think that they won't fire that dude, they will fire him if he ends up with 20 wins with Zion Williamson and they miss the playoffs. The Pelicans aren't going to end up with 20 wins because (laughs) – Yeah, but like you're saying, like like the idea that prioritizing, making sure that you get your rookie rotation minutes off the bench somehow is going to take your team – Okay, I, I I disagree with that. From a long like, you, term, like how you're building your team, and that's long and that's term. Why. These most of these guys will be gone. Most of these play you, seven of the guys you're watching on this roster this year won't be here in eighteen months. Won't be here in eighteen months. So why why are we talking about developing a nineteen year old? who is one of many first round picks you're going to have in the next, in the next few years, as if that's a priority now, it is not, it is not any organization that would be banking on the development of Kyra Lewis in this year is an organization that is not going to win a damn thing. I'm going to save this disagreement because Stan Van Gundy is a coach and it is well known around the league. The guy doesn't play rookie. So I'm sorry. Kyra has no chance whether there's seven guys ahead of him, or maybe just two. Honestly, from my viewpoint, I I I disagree. I I think I've seen plenty from Kyra that he deserves minutes at this point. I agree. Pelicans, and I think the Pelicans, because the thing was coming into the season is I think the Pelicans should be patient. So I think the Pelicans should be patient, and being patient is you play your rookies and you take your lumps because you think that that's how you're going to but, build your team. But Fish, let me ask you, why has Stan gone with a seven or eight man rotation largely in the yeah. first 10 games? Because it is well, the win game. Doesn't, but because the priority. No, he's gone with a, like an eight man rotation because you look at the bottom of the roster. Well, they, that's part of it. That's in winning, right? So doesn't Kyra count? He's and what is gonna- Bledsoe? What is Bledsoe's value to you anyway? That's why I, my thing is they should, if you're talking about, if you're going to lose both Lonzo and Bledsoe eventually, because Bledsoe, I'm, he's not part of your long-term plan. There's no way. There's no, no way. JJ's yet. gone at the end of this year. So all of all the guys then, the, elite, the one that I need to get his value up, to, and if I'm thinking, if you're talking long-term too, the guy that I need to at least get his value up to give him the regular minutes and regular looks is Lonzo, because Bledsoe's value ain't going up or down much. JJ's value is what it is to anybody that's going to come along in a trade. If I want a shooter, I want JJ. I'm not going to sit, look at his tape and say, JJ's lost it because whatever I'm giving up for him, I know what I'm asking for is a shooter. Lonzo is the one because if you decide he's not your future, and I, I could, I'm fully on board with that if they say that he's not, I get it. He hasn't given you a reason to say that he is. But if I'm going to trade Lonzo Ball before the trade deadline, I still want the most I can get out of him. And the only way I'm going to get that out of him is by starting him and trying to win some games with him. No, see, that's the thing. I think that Lonzo, (laughs) like if you, if you bring Lonzo off the bench um, and you bring Lonzo down 20, when has the starters ever been down 20? The problem has been that the bench gives it, gives it up. And so if you're telling me you have to start Lonzo to build up his value, and if you're telling me you have to start Lonzo to keep the starters afloat, but the starters aren't the problem. The problem is the bench. So if Lonzo's this valuable, put him on the bench and show me how valuable he is. But the thing is, is that he's not this valuable. He's no. we've got five thousand minutes of evidence of Lonzo Ball. But what is how is Lonzo's value that's been better? Because Lonzo has been more valuable to the team in situationally than Bledsoe has. 
So that's what I'm thinking is like, why are we protecting Bledsoe's value? Why is the argument always about Lonzo? And we're not dissecting Bledsoe. Who gets paid more? Who who get who is a veteran and is not doing the because things? Bledsoe, you say, well, he's got the highest three point percentage on the team, but he ain't taking shots and he's not scoring. He's scoring less than ten points a game most nights. He scored twenty. <laughs> he scored twenty one. Come on, night. I'm being dead serious. <laughs> Has Bledsoe lived up to his? Like, why is this thing? I'm I'm asking this question legitimately, and it's not about prolons or standing whatever. But why is it always we're pointing out what Lonzo didn't do when Bledsoe? Look, I, like I said, if you want to move Lonzo, move him. He has not proven to you that he's worthy of sixteen, eighteen million, twenty million dollars. He has not. No. But at the same time, we're nobody is talking about how shitty Eric Bledsoe has been this season. How disappointing he's been this season. He was supposed to replace Drew Holiday. He hasn't come close to Drew Holiday production. So it's like, why is the decision Lonzo only? It's Lonzo or nothing. Like, Bledsoe has to be involved in this. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, is that Bledsoe isn't up for a contract next year. I've never said that Bledsoe is some kind of long-term piece. Um, so why am I Bledsoe, playing him? I don't owe him Bledsoe shit. Is a, here's, here's why you're playing Bledsoe. You start Bledsoe because Bledsoe's also a little guard. And by starting Bledsoe and not moving Bledsoe to the bench, you make sure that you get Kyra minutes. That's why. So if I mean, if you're asking me why are you doing this thing, I I, I get that you disagree that you shouldn't do that, but I'm telling you that's that's my justification for you start Eric Bledsoe because I'm trying to construct a rotation where I make sure that I'm going but to fish. get ten minutes a game. In your scenario, if you've got Lonzo coming off the bench, then you still have Redick and you still have Josh Hart. Where does Kyra fit in when you've got those three guys filling one through three? Well, no, that's the thing is that I'm 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 essentially I'm going to play Josh Hart as my four. I'm going to I'm going to jimmy the the rotations around so that you're either going to have Zion or Brandon Ingram on the floor a lot. Um with that unit, the Pelicans aren't going to play a lot of minutes where they play all the reserves at once because mm-hmm. we haven't seen Stan Van Gundy do those kind of rotations. Um, and I and honestly, I mean, if 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 we're talking about like how to, how do you you know kind of construct the the rotation? Yeah, you start Bledsoe, but Bledsoe is probably the first guy that comes off of the floor. Um, you know, when you make your first rotate, you, you make your first substitutions, you're going to, you know, get him off the floor. And then you try to get Kyra some minutes where he's surrounded by as many starters and quality defenders as as you can. But I mean, I, I, I understand the, the frustration in that it always feels like it's about Lonzo. But the thing is, is that Lonzo's contract situation beyond this year tells me that the Pelicans need to be able to make a decision on him between now and March. Or there's a strong chance that e- their options are going to be eat a terrible offer sheet. Well, that's what I'm saying. Or that's what I'm agreeing Or he walks for free. And I, I don't think, I don't think, well, if you start Lonzo, he's going to build his value. Lonzo is a known But he shouldn't audience. change your mind. That's what I'm saying. Whatever he does, if you're committed to Lonzo Ball, what you do over the next two months can't change my mind. The only thing that can change my mind is physical. Is something physical. Because if I've made a commitment to you 
then I've, I've already done, you know what I'm saying? If, if you only do it because it gets hot for a stretch, that's a short-sighted decision. If you, if you, you're either in on Lonzo at this point or you're out and I'm fine with either decision the Pelicans are willing to make, but they need to go ahead and make that decision. Cause I think dragging it out doesn't help the Pelicans and it doesn't help Lonzo, but it, it, it ultimately will hurt the Pelicans most. Cause I think they will lose the player because he'll sign somewhere else, and that's fine contractually, but you will get nothing in return. One thing you will get something. One thing we need to mention, too, is we don't know when Lonzo's knees start giving him issues. So if it was over his last couple games, which was by far his worst two games, I think, then, you know, then you're trying to almost make an argument, well, injury's going to knock him out of starting rotation, and, hey, we're going to cap his development. We don't believe him anymore by moving him to the bench. So from that standpoint, I don't I, I can't foresee Sam Van Gundy doing, nor do I think he should. Because, I, you know, the way Griffin was talking about Lonzo Ball over the uh, offseason was we look at him pretty much essentially like we do Brandon Ingram before he signed, of course, that massive offer sheet um, is the fact that he said we, we, we view these guys as long-term pieces and we feel like they do the same with us. You know what I mean? He, he kind of said that. So you can't suddenly, in my mind, throw Lonzo onto the reserve group and basically say, well, we don't believe in you anymore. You've had 11 games and you may have played hurt in, you know, the last couple, but we don't care. No, I, I can't see going down that road, Fish. I just can't. Well, no, I mean, you have to be out. You have to be out if you do that. You have to be out. And that's fine. Like I said, I get it if they say no. I understand if Pelicans say they don't want him. I get it. I'm not going to no. cry either way. But the thing is, I understand the 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 politics portion of it where – what the Pelicans, what I think the Pelicans should do and the what the Pelicans will do are different things. Like I, I, I fully expect that the Pelicans will start Lonzo Ball. I fully expect if anybody is going to go to the bench out of that, you know, that opening night starting backcourt, it would be Eric Bledsoe. Gotcha. Because, you know, because you can't really do that to Lonzo at his at, at this point in his career. Right. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that if I was running the team with knowledge of all those political ramifications, I would be telling, and I would be, you know, discussing, Hey, is the best thing for us long-term beyond the arc of this season that we need to get Kyra minutes and we need to get Nikhil minutes in the backfield uh, in, in the backcourt and with that said how do we construct the rest of the rotation in a way that we can ensure that that occurs um now i mean also if you could trade lonzo or bledsoe or even jj reddick to make that decision easier and cleaner please by all means pelicans do that Yes. Um, yeah, especially since they have holes, right? I mean, we've yeah. been wanting to find. Yeah. So, I mean, go ahead. I mean, I mean, I mean, if 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 you ask me what what trade would I do? Any of those three guys? Any of those three guys? Because to me, Eric Bledsoe is just a stopgap. Um, JJ Redick is an expiring contract, and I don't believe that he's going to be resigning with the Pelicans this summer at the kind of discount that would make it worth it for the Pelicans. And Lonzo Ball, my expectation of the kind of offer sheet that 
his agency is going to be able to acquire from some team is going to be such that it's going to be very distasteful to match Mm -hmm. what it does to you cap wise in the future with the knowledge of all of that. If the Pelicans could flip any one of those three players for somebody who's more six foot seven to six foot nine kind of shoots a three a little bit and loves to play defense Please, because that's what the Pelicans need in this rotation, and they don't have that guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it would clean up things a lot if the Pelicans did that. But, I mean, barring that move, what I would like the Pelicans to do <laughs> is to prioritize getting Nikhil and Cairo minutes. What I expect the Pelicans to do is to prioritize short-term wins, and so we're going to see – either a Bledsoe-Lonzo backcourt tomorrow night in Utah. We might see a Lonzo-Nikhil backcourt, or they might try to sell it as we're bringing Lonzo off the bench because he's just coming off this injury, and Mm -hmm. so we're going to try to work him in a little bit slowly. And so he'll come off the bench for the first game, and then if they win, then they'll say, well, we're going to bring him off the bench one more time, you know, just to co- try to continue to get him in the flow. And we then did after that last year, bench- didn't we? Didn't we but, go but, through that last year? But then eventually, well, Alvin benched him, yeah. I mean, Lonzo will be back in the starting lineup. Like, it's going to happen. But, I mean, if, if you ask me, I mean, Lonzo's having a superb season defensively a superb season defensively. And it isn't a coincidence that the defense got worse the three games that he was out. Some of that is opponent, you know, related, but some of that is also the fact that Lonzo is by far the best defender in the backcourt that the Pelicans have right now. And then, um, but the thing is, is that what I need to see from Lonzo is one, I need to see the three point shots going through the hoop more often. Yes. And yes. two, I just need to see him not throwing the ball away so much. Yes. Like he needs uh, – um, Antonio Daniels says it all the time. He needs to make more passes that are singles and stop trying to hit home runs all the time. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, there's that, no I, doubt Stan wants if, the same thing. It, yes. it, if there's one thing that I could get – and, like, I get the, like, the three-quarter court pass when it connects is beautiful – but the Pelicans are hitting that pass on like a 10% rate, and it's not <laughs> worth it at this point. I agree. Every time they throw it, it's never points. I know. No. I've noticed that. It's, oh. it's, it's, it's not worth the risk. Um, oh, so, I mean, isn't. they're, they're what just about talking. Brandon threw one to, to Zion the other day. Yeah, and that, that thing yeah. didn't have any chance. Um, Bledsoe so tried bad, to kick yeah. in the head. Bledsoe tried to kick a head pass to um, – to Steven Adams and Steven Adams caught the oh, ball yeah. about like 30 feet from the hoop. And Antonio Daniels was like, what do you expect to happen now? Yeah, I forgot about that. We've given the ball to Steven Adams. He is 35 feet from the hoop. Describe to me the situation rationally that this results in a good play. I mean, this we're not they talking are not about, a smart team. They the, are not a smart team. We're not talking about We're not talking about giving Steven Adams, the ball in the short roll, you know, to play four on three from 18 feet and in no 35 feet from the basket. We've passed the ball to Steven Adams and he's not just, you know, at the top of the key waiting to do another dribble handoff with somebody else. Mm -hmm. What are, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, the thing is, is that 
Lonzo, the things that he can control in terms of like just play his ass off on defense. Um, I'd like to see him rebounding a little bit more, but maybe some of the reason rebound why push not, the ball. Um, maybe the, some of the reason why he's not rebounding as much is because now he's playing on a team where everyone on the court is prioritizing it. So there's just less rebounds available for him to get. Yeah, I'd um, like to see Ingram not take so many boards. The people who need to be grabbing defensive boards are Zion and Lonzo. Because Bledsoe, Ingram, and, uh, well, Steven Adams will throw a good pass ahead if the guards go. But, I mean, yeah. like, anytime Ingram or and, – and, and Lonzo has done this too. And Ollie and I have talked about this. Where he gets the ball, and they the guards all look at each other, and then just hand it, and then they start walking up the court. And I'm mm-hmm. like, "What do you? What, what is going on?" It, it's I, I don't I don't understand that part of it. Now, Lonzo but, needs to be grabbing the boards or get, grabbing and going, and I feel like that element needs to happen with this team. Yes, their half court offense is too one dimensional. It's either Zion or Bi, and it's going to continue to be that. So I feel like. That's that's another reason why you got to throw Lonzo into that starting lineup, keep him there, ride the wave. And look, we saw him hit that high fish. Don't forget, middle of December to the pandemic, he played yeah. some really good ball, and he wasn't as good defensively last year as, the, as he is this year. No. So he's he's been much better defensively. And if he can, it, like, if the ball just starts going through the hoop some, and he stops throwing it away, like, and those yeah. are two, like very simple things for him to do. Like, I don't like he doesn't drive to the hoop a lot. And I know that that's a big point of contention on Pelican's Twitter. Um, and that's and why I, you start Nikhil. <laughs> you take care uh, of that with Nikhil. Yeah. I mean, if you put him on a, on, on a, in a, in a lineup where he's going to be surrounded by Nikhil and, mm-hmm. and Zion. And Zion. Yes. It's glorious. You, you've, you've mitigated that to a long, to, to a great extent. And so in the half court, what you need him to do is you need him to make catch and shoot three pointers. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then in transition and everywhere else, you just need him not to commit. I don't want to, they're not, they're not stupid turnovers to me. They're unforced. They're, they're turnovers where he's trying to do too much. Right. He, he's just swinging for the fences because he's like, well, I'm not going to sack fly out. And I'm like, we only need one run sack fly out. Like just, just, just take the gimme. Um, and that's, that's what, that's what he needs to do is just, I mean, and I, I believe that like once the catch and shoot three start, start falling for him. And then if he stops turning the ball over quite as much as he has, then the rest of his value will really start to blossom. And then I might start, you know, in two months, I might be talking into, hey, Alonzo, Nikhil backcourt sounds mm-hmm. great because look at what they're doing defensively and it's really making it easier on Brandon Ingram. Like I can easily see a situation where two months from now, I'm saying that was the perfect right move. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but the thing is, is I still want to find a way to get Kyra minutes. And so, hey, if you start Lonzo. Then- I think we can have that discussion maybe in a month or two, right, Fish? I just yeah, don't, like- I can't foresee it. Realistically, looking at this roster, not a game Van Gundy as a coach. I, I know what you're saying, and I want it too. I think, I think Kyra's ready for minutes in this league to where you want to start that development clock now. But it's just not there. It's not – I just don't see it. No, I'm, yeah. and, I'm, and we've I, talked I, about it. So I mean, we're, we're talking more about what I want and what yeah. I would like to see than gotcha. what I expect to see. Right. Gotcha. And that's fair. And that's fair. 
That's more than fair. Um, guys, we've I been going at it for an it. hour and a half, guys. We were going to keep this short. <laughs> we were. Uh, but I, I, I think it was a, a good discussion, though. I think it was a needed discussion. I think it was an honest one. And that's what, I, quite frankly, I think that's why our listeners listen to us, is that we, we don't always agree the same or you know, think the same, and we always have come with our reasons for saying it. But we are honest and we stand with our positions and we defend our positions. And when we're wrong, we admit that we were wrong. And so I have no problem having that discussion with you guys because I think we all have val- – I'm not looking at any of us and saying, oh, this guy's off his, off his nut. I mean, it's just – they're just they're basketball agreements and disagreements. I think generally I think we see the same thing out of this team. It still has a long way to go defensively. Um, it has – an identity to find offensively. Um, Zion should get more touches. Ingram should be more aggressive. Nash should get more minutes. Those are the things we can all agree with. And Jackson, please keep trying. Please, Jackson. Please keep trying. Just want the ball, man. That's all he's got to do out there. Just want the please. ball. Come Steve, up, go get it. And Steven Adams has been your MVP to this point. Absolutely. Um, so and the MVP has been Nicola Milley, hands down. Yes. <laughs> Nicola Miller, as I say, because he's the Oof. combination of Nico and Darius Miller. It's just so. crazy. Melly had that run of two months last year. He was the talk of training camp outside of Nikhil, I want to say. And for him just to not even, you know, show any kind of life on more than a couple possessions in a row has been the biggest shock to me. And I'm sure it's Dave Van Gundy, too. I mean, yeah. It's it's like, dude, he's he, he was not ready for America. Whatever it is, he wasn't ready for this. He wasn't ready for this. Not this league. He's not having fun. I mean, yeah, it's just. He's not playing basketball. When he's, he's open, he's, he's like, doing. oh, son of a bitch, I got to shoot the ball. That's the feeling <laughs> I get out of him. I mean, it, yeah, I feel for him. I, I really do. I feel for him because yeah. nobody wants to be in that position where people are talking about you and saying, I don't want you to play. Mm-hmm. Like, I would just be happy if you didn't show up today. Like that's a, that's a, that's a shitty place to be, and he knows it, and that's the suckiest part of it. But yep. dude, you getting a check? Cash it. Uh, <laughs> save that money because you're not getting a second one. Um, <laughs> so, All right, that's enough. So, We're not going to disparage him anymore. <laughs> so for David Fisher and Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb, and we miss you, Kevin Barrios. Keep working hard, dude. We were proud of you. We miss you, and when you come back, we'll be glad to have you. Um, So until the next time, um, let's go Pels. listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today